Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, everybody. I just saw a special welcome given to Mark Strunen um, in the chat. And I want to just echo that. Mark Struden, who just went through major heart surgery successfully. Cool. Thank God. We're so happy to have him back in our, our Torah study. So, uh, so yeah, so it's a real blessing to have you here, Mark. Um, okay, we are, and I'm. you may notice a different background. I'm traveling, so I'm using a friend's room here. Um, we're in uh, now... Uh, a, a, a pivot moment. We're at the end of the book of Exodus. Okay. So the, this incredible book, this, this sort of the mightiest of the, of the books of the Torah, the grand, the grand story of the Exodus, of the, of, the, of the redemption, of the liberation, of the revelation, just a magnificent, almost overwhelmingly awesome book. And then, and then something happens in the middle of the book of Exodus and uh, what we've been grappling with mostly for the last few weeks has been uh, the strange way that the, this magnificent epic book suddenly gets mired in all kinds of details, 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 details in the construction of the tabernacle. Um, so that's what we've been trying to figure out. And in fact, um, Vera, I'll, I'll ask Vera, who uh, helps us run the, the show here, I'll ask you to just post this week's uh, best book ever podcast, because we dealt with on the podcast, again, that question that we've dealt with, I think, a couple of times over the last few weeks in this class, which is just what, what do we do with all these details? How do we, how do we, how do we, how do we move from the grandeur of the Exodus to the minutia of the construction of the tabernacle with all of its sockets and rings. Okay, so we've been dealing with that um, and, um, and we'll deal with it again next year. But thankfully, though the book of Exodus moves from grandeur to minutia, it, it does end, thankfully, uh, uh, it ends magnificently as well. The end of the book of Exodus, one, one just final scene as, as we get a, the last, um, the last uh, slew of details, um, and it looks like the book is going to end with details, suddenly there's a pause, and um, Mo Moses has finished all the work of the tabernacle, and all of a sudden, a cloud appears. A great, beautiful cloud appears. 
and a cloud appears. And then also significantly, something called Kvod Adonai appears. Kvod Adonai. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I could translate it, but that already would be um, part of the problem. That, what's what we're going to try and figure out. But I will, I will give us a little bit of translation and say that it is famously the word kavod, uh, and especially the kavod of Adonai, the kavod of God, is often translated as the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. Sometimes it's translated as the presence of the Lord. So the presence of the Lord, Peter, the glory, it actually becomes a very, um, a very common, a very, um, a very prominent phrase throughout the rest of the Hebrew Bible. So it's, it's, it is worth it for us to really stop here and think about what exactly this thing is. Okay. So that's, that's our topic for today. The, the kvod of Adonai, the glory of God, the presence of God, whatever this, this thing is, we're going to, we're going to try and figure it out. So let's, let's say a blessing and then we'll, then we'll get into it. Blessing over, over Torah study, over the sacred space. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav etzivanu, la'asok b'divrei Torah. Okay, so here we go. I want to just take us to those last few verses in the, in the Torah reading, and just, just to see how, how, as I said, magnificent they are, but also how mysterious they are. It's not, it's not so clear what's going on here at all, and it's certainly not clear what this thing, which this isn't the first time we've seen it, but it, it, it's, it's a very prominent instance of this thing, the kavod of Adonai. All right, so let's take a look. And I'm going to, there's a, a source sheet for you, and then I'm going to screen share. So here is um, the, here's the scene that ends the book of Exodus. And, you, and I'm just giving you, um, here's one last line of detail, okay? So the, Exodus chapter 40, verse 33 says, um, and he set up the enclosure around the tabernacle and the altar and put up the screen for the gate of the enclosure. The screen, we're still talking about screens and gates and details and, okay, we're still constructing. And then, and then Moses had finished the work. Boom, that's it. And I guess the book of Exodus could have ended there, but thankfully we get this, this sort of beautiful and mysterious scene here. The last of the book of Exodus. The cloud covered the tent of meeting. And here's the phrase, and the kavod of Adonai filled the tabernacle. Here it is in the Hebrew. Uchvod Adonai, right there. This is the word that we're going to be spending our time looking at today. Kavod. And the kavod of Adonai filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it. And the kavod of Adonai filled the tabernacle. So there it is again. So Rep repeating that phrase, the kavod of Adonai filled the tabernacle, kavod of Hashem filled the tabernacle, and um, because the kavod filled the tabernacle, Moses can't get in. That already is a little funny. What does it mean Moses can't get in? And that, that, that's maybe the first clue that we have to help us think about what this kavod might be. Okay, but there's also a cloud, and that's part of this scene too. So when the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on their various journeys. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until such time as it did lift. For over the tabernacle, a cloud of Hashem, this word right here, you know, we can never translate well. You could say Hashem, which just means the name. We pronounce it Adonai. We don't pronounce it, you know, so 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I may, I may say Adonai, it may say Hashem, but we're talking about God here. That's our name for God. For over the tabernacle, a cloud of Adonai rested by day and fire would appear in it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout their journeys. Okay, that's a good ending. Ah, good. Thank you, Exodus. That's a good ending, right? We were, we were so mired in details, but suddenly we've got this cloud and the glory of God. And I'm already translating it, but it's the kavod of Adonai. What is that? And, and the cloud in some ways is the, seems more like the main character here because we're learning that the cloud would descend and the cloud would move them. They'd follow the cloud. When the cloud didn't move, they would say, so the cloud is part of our, our discussion, but, but we know what a cloud is. I mean, we, we do know what a cloud is. What are, what are these clouds? Okay, like these are special clouds, but we know what a cloud is, but what is kavod? Okay, some of you, are probably all ready to start answering, thinking, well, I, I've heard the word kavod before, um, and, and, and I've seen it in my prayers, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuto, blessed is the, the name of the kavod of God's kingship. Um, um, ka, um, um, uh, kavod Ishtachbu kavod, Ladonai, um, um, Kavod Shemo, there, there, Kavod comes up, up again and again, um, but okay. I want to I want to think with you about what it is in this scene, but um, before I, I I open it I open it up just for our um, interpretation. I, I want to because after all it is this Hebrew word that not all of us are familiar with. I want to give us a little bit of of um, not context. What's the word? A little bit of um of 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 uh, linguistic. Uh, uh, context, a little bit of linguistic comparison, see where else this language of kavod is used. And actually, I want to start with maybe the most prominent uh, usage of kavod in the Torah so far, which is the verb usage, kabed, kabed, to be kaved. And, and, and if I asked you, where is that used as a verb, kabed? I see a hand go up because you probably already know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna call on someone because I. 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 This is like. A, this is an answer. that's just a one-liner. But the answer is in the Ten Commandments. Maybe the most famous usage. And so this is our first clue. What is that word kavod? What is the 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 kavod of Adonai? Well, maybe it's the honor of God because that's the way we usually translate um, kabed et avichav etimecha. Kabed, same language there as as you probably know um, if you've been to this class. The 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 way that Hebrew words are related is through three letter roots, so they don't have to have the exact same form. But just like kavod here, there's one extra vowel in it, but it's the kaf, bet, and dalid. The same same language here. So kabed, kabed etavichavetimecha. Honor usually we translate your father and your mother. Okay, so that's. That's one famous usage. But let me just give you a couple of others, and then I'd like to hear what you think about the kavod of Adonai. Here's a couple of others. Um, there was a famine in the land. Back in the book of Genesis, there was a I think this is the first usage. There was a famine in the land, and Avram, uh, Abraham before he was Abraham, Avram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was, and so far I'm going to be trans giving you the most common translation. The famine was severe, Kaved in the land. Okay, so we have 
kabed meaning honor. We have kabed meaning severe. And then just one more here. And I think uh, I this is Genesis chapter 12. I think the Torah plays with the language on purpose. And just a chapter later, again, speaking about Avram now when he's coming up from Egypt, the same language, but a different meaning here. Now Abram was very wealthy, kaved, in cattle and silver and gold. Okay, so you see the famine was kaved, and now Abraham is kaved. And what is the relationship between those two? How can the famine be kaved and Abraham also be kaved wealthy, severe and wealthy? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the answer, which is that these two usages, I think are both related to a, a primary meaning of kavod, which is weight, heaviness, right? Heaviness. We, COVID is, is, is weight, not COVID, but COVID is weight, okay? So that's one, that's one primary um, um, definition that I'd like to have in our conversation, though it won't suffice because it doesn't really make sense to say that the weight of God came into the tabernacle. But maybe there's something there. And even when we say honor your mother and father, there too, maybe we're saying treat them with weight, with gravitas. Maybe we're talking about the gravitas of God, okay? So now, now we have some language, honor, severity, wealth, heaviness. And just one other thing before I open it up to the crowd, which is we have seen the word, these are verbal form, uh, uh, verb forms. So, um, so honor, to honor, right? Um, or adject adjective forms. Abraham was weighted, wealthy. But here is a, here's an earlier usage of kavod itself and the kavod of God, a famous usage when Moses is on Mount Sinai talking to God. And, and, and there's this beautiful and famous scene back in Exodus chapter 33, where Moses asks to see God, but what does he ask to see? God's kavod. Here, take a look. Um, uh, Moses said, oh, let me behold your kavod. Hareni not kvodecha. Let me behold your kavod. And significantly, God answers, you know, I can pass my goodness before you and I can proclaim before you the name of God and my grace and my compassion, but you cannot see my face because no human being may see me and live. Okay, so maybe the kavod of God also, like we have this weighty association, but there's also some way in which Asking to see God is asking to see God's kavod. And God says, you can't see my, you expect God to say, nobody can see my kavod. But instead God sees, says, you can't see my face. So maybe the kavod of God is in some, some way seeing the face of God, okay? All right, now I think we're ready to open the conversation up. And again, now that given the, uh, the, the kinds of, of um, of, of connotations and associations we've just seen. Now let's go back and look at this scene at the end of Exodus and think about what it means to say that the, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the kavod of Adonai filled the tabernacle. And Moses couldn't come in because the cloud had settled upon it and the kavod of Adonai had filled the tabernacle. What do you think the kavod of Adonai is there? How would you how would you translate that? How would you speak about the thing which fills the tabernacle and Moses can't get in? Okay, so let's take a few a few first responses here. Okay, um, let's call forth our newly recovered Mark Strunen.
to to connect the story of Moses requesting to see God's face. And God responds by permitting Moses to see his quote unquote back. I think as it's been suggested, and I can't remember which scholar, but there was a medieval scholar who suggested that what one sees is not the actual presence in the moment of God, but you see an impression literally when you drop a weight on, on, a, on a surface, an impression is left. And the kavod of God may be the impression that demonstrates that divinity was present, that God was there. And that's something that a human being can see. So connecting it to the, to the fourth commandment, honor, you know, kaved your father and mother. Ultimately, the message to the child is, look at the impact that your mother and father had upon you and recognize, if you can, um, the, the value of that, the importance of that. And from that, that generates how you treat them. Okay, okay, I love what Mark's doing here. And I see Mark hasn't, hasn't lost a step because uh, what Mark did is just very elegantly, I said the Torah is playing with, can God be present or not present? Is God there or not? And Matt, I, I very, very, um, very astutely, um, framed kavod for us as the, the most that we feel that God is actually there. Uh, what Mark does is, is, is remind us that weight is, is the description of weightiness, heaviness, is something that is there and felt but not seen. And that's important. Like Moses wants to see God's kavod, but God is saying, you can't see me. You can feel me you can i can leave an impression the heaviness is like a way of saying god is there but you still don't see god but you know that god was there because god leaves an impression i love that language i love that language all right let's uh, let's let's take a few more noah pollock yeah i'm going to be playing around with the word shekhanti we got that praising a few weeks translate that noah translate that for us Okay, that you shall build a sanctuary or a mikdash up amongst yourselves and I will dwell amongst them. That we get this betocham amongst you. It's like this presence, this whatever it is. It's not just on Moses. It's on all of us. It's making it so that we're all in this experience, like the Ten Commandments experience, where we got everyone was there and felt that and now at the end we're still feeling that presence that heaviness that whatever it is from the divine ah okay this is good so first of all noah says there's something about the appearance of the kavod and it's a big deal the the kavod of god the presence there's something about that that appearance that seems to be directed to the whole people I mean, it's true, Moses asked specifically to see God's kavod, but in this case, and and says Noah, back at Mount Sinai, the appearance of the kavod of, 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 of Adonai was something that was meant to be, to, to, to be felt, to be even seen, if such a thing could be, by the whole of the people. Okay, with that in mind, 
with that in mind, I want now to, and then I'll turn back to, this is not gonna take us on, on there's just to build on what we've been doing so far. Um, Noah makes the connection to Mount Sinai. And that's probably the most important connection to make for our last scene of the book of Exodus, because we can find the kavod of Adonai, we can find it in all, all kinds of places. In fact, one of the places that appears is at the, at the story of the mana coming down. God's kavod appears there and, you know, so we could track where does God, God's kavod appear? Um, I read one commentator that says, anytime the people are threatening Moses and Aaron, the kavod of Adonai suddenly appears. That's another manifestation, you know, to defend Moses. And so there are, there, you know, we won't be able to map it all today, but one thing, one connection we have to make is the one that, that Noah is making, which is the connection back to Mount Sinai. So let's take a look at that. That's back in Exodus chapter 24. And it's an important connection, not just because Sinai is important, but because a lot of the language here is very similar to the language we just saw at um, the end of the book of Exodus. The end of the book of Exodus where we have the cloud and the cloud descends upon the tabernacle and the, and the kavod of Adonai fills the tabernacle. Okay, all of that imagery. Now, look, now let's look back at Mount Sinai and see some very similar imagery here. So this is Exodus chapter 24. Look at this. When Moses had ascended the mountain, the cloud covered the mountain. The cloud, same language. I'll scroll back up just to, I'm not going to keep doing this, but look, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Very similar language. Okay, so that's, so, that's, a, that's close to a direct reference. The cloud covered the mountain. And the kavod of Adonai dwelled upon Mount Sinai. And this is the language also that, um, that Noah was playing with. Vaishkon, the dwelling of the kavod of Adonai was on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, God called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. So again, we have a scene where the kavod is very prominent and so is the cloud. There's some sort of interaction or I don't know, there's some, are, is the kavod the cloud? Are they separate? I don't know. Now the kavod of Anani appeared in the sight of the Israelites, appeared in the sight of the Israelites as a consuming fire. And that's quite some language appeared in the sight of the Israelites. We've been talking about, we're not supposed to be able to see God. So what does that even mean? But appeared in the sight of the Israelites as a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. Quite a phrase, a consuming fire. There it is, a consuming fire in English. And here it is in Hebrew, and Moses went inside the cloud and ascended the mountain and Moses remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so that's a connection. But Noah's right, we have to keep that connection in mind. And as you can see, it, it all feels very similar. There's, there's clouds and the cloud covers and then there's the, the kavod and there's, there, there's cloud and there's also kavod and, 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 and what's going on here, okay? So, so, so does, this, does this enhance at all? Or do, do we see any clues here? Now we've got a couple of scenes where this, this kavod is appearing. So let's keep going. Uh, uh, we have a we have a, a line of interpreters, and I th I think we can just keep going and asking the question: What is this kavod? What is happening here? And one more thought, and then we're gonna then we're gonna press forward a little bit from Marlene. Uh, I think this is a tag on to what Payam was talking about, but I think this this language of weight and then the clouds seems to me to be a juxtaposition that may help us think about how we're actually going to engage with Hashem, because if it were weighty all the time. Where would we find the joy in prayer if we just had to worry about being weighted down with the presence of God? It seems to me that that's a really 
heavy in multiple in multiple ways of interpreting it way to come to our engagement with God and we have to have something more than just the weightiness of it and the clouds allow a lightness to come in even though it still fogs who God is but it gives us a, a, a way of being light in our prayer and in our encounters Oh, I love that, Marlene. First, uh, first of all, I, it's so be beautiful the way that you described it, and not just beautiful, but psychologically very insightful. That if this is the weight of God, well, weight is heavy. <laughs> it is hard. Like, do we we can't actually handle the kavod of God all the time? And isn't that what God is saying? You can't really see or take or experience the full weight of what I am, right? I call this class the weight of eternity, right? If God is the eternal one, then it's like infinity the weight of infinity everything that is coming down like there's a little too much there and then marlene set I, I i feel grateful to you because marlene sets up nicely uh exactly what like where we're going to go next because marlene starts to wonder about the juxtaposition then of the image of the kavod the weight of god and then the cloud which is a very light image a very fluffy image and um this sets us up, as I said, nicely for this next piece that I want to look at together. And this piece is, is trying to deal with the particular, almost technical, something technical is being described in this last scene in Exodus and also in that scene on Mount Sinai. There's something technical happening here where, I mean, the cloud comes down and covers and then the glory of God fills the tabernacle and uh, although that's not exactly the way it is on Mount Sinai, let's just review for a second. And then I'll, and then I'll take us into this piece that deals with exactly the sort of imagery that, that Marlene is playing around with, the, the kavod and then the cloud. So just back for one moment to, um, to just remind us, the cloud covers the tent of meaning and Moses can't enter. And all the commentaries are wondering, why can't he go in? What is happening there that Moses can't get in? because the cloud had settled upon it and the kavod had filled the tabernacle. And then when the cloud lifted, they would go, okay, fine. Um, then again, in the, in, the, in the scene at Mount Sinai, the cloud covered the mountain and, Mo, and um, the kavod appeared in the sight of the Israelites as a fire. So now we have fire and clouds and Moses went inside the cloud, okay? So cloud, fire, appearance, dwelling, all these, there's, some, there's like actual movement here and um, I, I, there, a lot of the commentators try to deal with this, but I found a particularly elegant um, scheme um, uh, cashed out by one of my favorite commentators, the Kliakar. The Kliakar is a 17th century um, a rabbi from Prague, uh, one of my favorite commentators. And he tries to deal with, okay, what exactly is happening here? And what is the function of the cloud in all this? So take a look at what he says. This is just one attempt to make sense of the mechanics of the, the dwelling of the kavod and the clouds. Take a look here. He says, it seems from this, from the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the kavod of Adonai filled the tabernacle. And by this, he means they seem to be two separate things, the cloud and the kavod. So he says, it seems from this that the cloud of Hashem is not, sorry, the kavod of Hashem, the kavod of Hashem is not the cloud itself. It's not the cloud. Rather, he says, the fire and the light are the kavod of Hashem. Now that's a very specific answer, but we saw it on Mount Sinai. The kavod appeared as a consuming fire. 
So he says, the fire and the light are the kavod of Hashem, which appears from within the cloud. And, and why is that, he says? And he has a pretty, pretty good answer. He says, because if not for the cloud, it would not be possible to look directly at it. For if a person cannot look straight into the light of the sun, well, then all the more so for the light of the radiance of the blessed divine presence. Beautiful phrase in Hebrew here. Zohar shechinato yitbarach. Um, therefore, this holy light always appears in the midst of a cloud. Now, that already is a lot to think about, but just, uh, let, let's just see a little bit more how he works this all through our scenes. So once the tabernacle was constructed, one could separate from the other. That's the point that he's really making here, is that the cloud and the kavod are together, and the cloud covers the kavod, but once you have a tabernacle, then the light of God would enter into the tabernacle because that's the place where God is supposed to be and the cloud would remain outside. So the cloud covers the tabernacle, the light goes in. And now he's gonna, he's gonna compare this to the, the scene at Mount Sinai, which takes place here at the end of Parshat Mishpatim. That's, chapter, that's back in chapter 24. We see that the kavod of Adonai dwelled upon Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, God called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. That is to say, the cloud covered the kavod of Hashem so they could see the kavod. That's why it's written here, now the kavod of Adonai appeared in the sight of the Israelites as a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Because this is how they could see the kavod. Okay. So uh, he goes on, but I think actually, uh, I think we can actually leave it there. But you see what he's basically doing. He's saying, what is the kavod? The kavod is the God manifesting as light and fire illumination, you know, just pure, brilliant illumination. But we can't, we can't see that, we can't experience. It. I mean, here he's really playing in some ways with the language of, can I see your, can I see, we've been thinking about that too. And his answer is no, you can't look, it's, it's blinding, but the cloud is there so that you can see it. The cloud obscures or, or muffles the, 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 the light, and that's why sometimes we describe the people as, yes, seeing God's glory. Even though you're, you can't, in the end, it does say the people saw it. And the reason they saw it is because they were able to see, this is back to Matt's feeling that part of this is, is, is feeling like God is really there. And the way that we are able to experience God is really there is through the, through the cloud. God's there in the midst of the cloud. God's glory manifests the God's light. It's a very specific answer in some ways. God's light manifests in the cloud and we need the cloud in order to be able to be close to perceive God's light. Okay, so um, let me pause there. And th that's a very, in some ways, specific answer. And yet there's something about that language of God being the light and us needing the cloud in order to obscure the light. It's technical, but there's also something very conceptual about that. That like, we can't really access God's light except through a veil, through a cloud. We need the cloud in order to be able to get, and when the cloud departs from the light, then it's impossible to encounter the light. So I just, uh, I mean, that's all very abstract and heady, but I wonder if anyone has a response to that, that idea of God as the light and the cloud as the thing that helps us to see the light. Uh, I see Noah coming in. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, I, I really think that hits the nail on the head. But just look 
I'm looking outside my window right now. I'm seeing the sky with clouds, the sun is there and the lights coming down through that. So really, I think if we even get a little sunlight on us, it's that divine presence like Allison is getting right now or anyone who's outside because we need that cloud to diffuse it a little bit just to see in front of us and not be blinded by the light. Yeah, and it's it's funny, uh, Noah, because you you go to look outside your window and all we're seeing are like, you know, what are, what are those uh, sheep or <laughs> like mountains in the back of your background? But right, there, you're looking at, a, at the clouds outside. And as you're talking about the light coming through the clouds, I'm remembering that, I don't know about you, but when I was young, I always, you know, when you see clouds and there are like beams of light coming out of the clouds, those moments, so you see the, like the light, I always thought that's God. Like, I don't know where I got, you know, somewhere I was taught that like, you know, illustrations of God coming to, the, whenever you see the, a cloud with beams of light coming, God, for some reason, is actually deciding to just appear on earth that day. I always felt that like, oh my God, there's God, like, he's there. Now, you know what I mean? And, and so there's something about that. I mean, I guess I've been culturally taught that, but also maybe there's something intuitive about seeing light streaming out of clouds that feels like God has appeared. Like it's mysterious, but I see there behind the veil, God is beginning to appear, right? Okay, great, all right. Um, okay, so all of that, we, this is good. We've done great work at, 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 at making some sense of the actual um, mechanics um, and, and and you know the Kliakar really has tried to help us understand what's going on there on Mount Sinai. God, Moses can go into the cloud, but he can't go into the tabernacle when God, when the cloud is absent. What's the cloud doing? What's the light? But he's very specific in a way that's almost surprising. The kavod of Adonai seems like it, we uh, we've already seen that it could mean so many things, and yet he's really tuned into the kavod of Adonai being the fire or the light. Now, I want to, so he zooms in, I want to now zoom us out and use, um, use uh, Maimonides as, uh, as a guide here. <laughs> Maimonides writes a book called The Guide to the Perplex, and indeed he is a great guide, and he's one of the best guides to thinking about the way language can be used in the Torah metaphorically, in all kinds of different symbolic associations. So Maimonides is a good person to turn to, to ask the question, wait, what is the kavod of Adonai? What does it mean? Because it can't just mean the light of, is that all it means, just God's illumination? And Maimonides um, does a nice job of summarizing, and I don't think I actually am gonna have to read all three, but Maimonides gives us three primary ways that kavod is used in the Bible. And it is used, oh, by the way, let me just give, I wanna give you, before we take a look at this, I wanna give you some links to, so first of all, if you look this up, you will see, now these are in Hebrew, so they may not be useful to everybody, but here's an example, here's just like a concordance, and you can see here, I hope that works. Does that work? I think that works. You can see there that, um, that all of the uses of, of kavod, of this phrase, the, the, the kavod of Hashem, used throughout the Bible. And actually, the Torah itself is not the most um, frequent site. It actually, once we get to the books of the prophets and the books of the Psalms, you see this, this language all the time. And then another thing I wanted to just give you is there's a wonderful, wonderful website called Aspaklaria. 
Aspaclaria. And this is part of what I use to prepare for the class. You can just type in like a, a phrase like this, like Kavoda Donai, and it'll give you all of the, like the, the most interesting commentaries on that phrase. So these are, both of them are in Hebrew. So, you know, that's a limitation, but, but I figured I'd share them anyway. Um, but okay, now let's get back to Maimonides in the Guide to the Perplex. This is his great philosophical um, opus. And one of the things he spends a lot of time doing is explaining how the language of the Torah can't be taken literally. And so he gives us all kinds, well, this is what it really means, all kinds of definitions. And for the Kavod of Adonai, um, he has a whole section where he explains the various meanings of the Kavod, and he gives three major meanings, okay? So um, without reading them all the way through, I'm going to try to identify them. So this is Maimonides in the Guide for the Perplexed. And he says, the Kavod of Hashem, the same as the case mean, he's been explaining how lots of phrases can be understood in multiple ways. The phrase sometimes signifies the material light which God caused to rest on a certain place. So he's agreeing with the Kliakar, agreeing that sometimes it's about light. The Kavod means the illumination, the light. So that is correct, Kliakar. That's one of the usages. But Maimonides says there are two other usages. So here's another one. The Kavod, sometimes um, the essence the reality of God is meant by the expression, as in the words of Moses, show me your kavod. In other words, kavod then is not specifically the light, but is a way of saying, I want to know you as you truly are. Something about the kavod of God, the weight of God is God's essence. So, so that's one way that kavod is used, God's, God's true reality, the, the closest we can get to really experiencing God. And then Maimonides says, there's one other way that kavod is often used in the Hebrew Bible, which is sometimes the, the term of kavod denotes the glorification of God. Um, in Hebrew, it's the hagdalat, which means the greatness, the, 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 grand, the grandeur, the, but not the grandeur itself, the way that people glorify and um, aggrandize God. And this is where we get the phrase, the glory of God. There's something about Kavod Adonai and the way it's used sometimes to mean like, and this is honor. We glorify, we praise, we honor God. Okay. So those are Maimonides. Does a, like, if you looked up in the commentaries, you would see most of them falling under one of these three. Either Kavod is the light of God, or Kavod is the essence of God, or Kavod is the glory of God, the, the way that we praise God. Okay. So three very different but primary meanings of Kavod. So with that said, I want to just one last time, just pause and, and ask, okay, does this, you've now seen so many different, and, and we've heard from this crowd, so many different ways of formulating this concept of the, the kavod of, of, of God. Do they all, like, do they all make sense to you? Is, is this a concept? Is this a, con, do they all come together in some kind of conceptual unity? That the kavod could be the light, or the essence, or the glory, or the or the weightiness, or the or the honor. Like, the, what is this whole this whole terminology? Let's let's just take one last pass of that. If anyone, uh, you know, now towards the end of our hour has a sense, ah, I see. This all can be expressed as kavod, as heaviness, as weight, as because what what concept are we are we playing with here? Any any final thoughts there, Hal and Kathy? 
You know, it, it just seems to me that maybe the word we're looking for is ineffable. Uh, you know, that all of these characteristics are hard to, you know, make very specific, to put in a box, but they can all sort of coexist and, and uh, constantly, uh, <laughs> you know, challenge challenge uh, some basic sense of understanding. So, you know, I think of the ineffability of God uh, as maybe, uh, uh, yeah. That's actually really good. And I know that Kathy's gonna hop on too, <laughs> but, and that we're always happy to have the double-barreled uh, uh, team of Kathy and Hal. Um, but, but let me just underscore what, what Hal said, which is actually in some ways a, a very, a very uh, like slick way of, 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 of encompassing our whole conversation, which is to say, yeah, it's hard to understand what the kav kavod of Adonai is, because that's the whole point, is that it is some way of speaking to a presence which we simply cannot understand. It is, yeah, yeah the God appears to us. What does that mean? We don't know what that means. We'll never know what that means. We use words like glory or weight or honor. We use words like that as a stand-in for precisely that thing that we could spend an hour trying to understand it. We could spend a year, we could spend a lifetime trying to understand it, but we never will. What do you think, Kathy? Oh, well, I was actually thinking along some of the same lines, but thinking of it in terms of the, uh, you know, well, in a sense, the kind of physicality of it. Uh, and, and that is that somehow I think this whole notion of, uh, you know, the cloud and all this, um, but, you know, not being able, to, you know, Moses not being able to, to to enter in because it was so uh, you know dense it's almost like i think part of the limitation is that we think of things being either solid or liquid or gas <laughs> you know and if it's gas then you know and oh yeah so a cloud's gas but you know then how is there not room for something to kind of shove in between? Or if it's solid, how, you know, but I think that it's really pointing to a different form of matter, mm. you know, and that the problem is, is that, you know, the limitations in our own ideas of there being these forms of matter and that somehow, and so I guess, I guess that's ineffable. That's, but, that's fantastic. That's fantastic, Kathy. And, and, and Kathy is so right. Uh, it's, as soon as you say it, I'm, I'm struck by how, how insightful it is that, that all of our, our metaphors for God, uh, many of our metaphors for God, I should say, the substance ones, um, use substances that themselves are only half there, like light. Like light is clearly a physical phenomenon, and yet it's sort of intangible. And the same thing with, with gas and vapor and cloud. It's, it's there, but it's not there. And so this language of a presence, to use um, Matt and, and Mark's initial descriptions, this heaviness, this impression of something which is there, but, but you can't fire. Fire is another example. Like it's so real and it's even powerful. And yet you could push your, your finger through it. What does that mean? You know, so that, that's like a very... It's helpful to see that when we grasp for metaphors for God, we grasp towards those other intangible um, kinds of substances. Okay, uh, beautiful. Uh, thank you for once again, power couple um, for that for that uh, that one two punch. Um, one last comment from Rabbi Zaki. Thank you. Well, the cloud metaphor is like so powerful for me because I remember a time where at night I was driving and the cloud 
speak was so thick. I had to park, stop my car mid, mid in the middle of the street, get out and try to walk through the density of it to try to find where I was at. So the Holy One was guiding me, but I didn't know it till I actually got through where I saw street signs. So I knew where in Long Beach I was located, mm. but it was so powerful and very frightening at the same time, because I didn't know if a car would come and whack me off the street or not, but I trusted that just one little step in front of the other would lead me to safety. I love that. Thank you. For so that. I wanted That's... to sort of conclude with that image. Rabbi Zaki entering into the cloud just as Moses entered into the cloud, right, at Mount Sinai. And then, and that's so beautiful because I never thought about it this way, Rabbi Zaki, but it's so true that when Moses goes into the cloud, that means Moses can't see where he is and has to just trust and be guided by God. And that's, that's part of our experience. We're looking for God's glory, but in order to do that, we have to go into the, into the mist into some sort of hazy experience that's not clear and just trust that somewhere in there will be guided. I love that, love that, love that. Okay, we're, we're, we're gonna close now, but I wanna, I, um, I wanna return just before we do to Allison's framing, that uh, this idea that the, the kavod is something we've been seeking and looking for since Mount Sinai and maybe the tabernacle is the thing which allows us to access once again that kavod. And that is precisely what Nachman, not Maimonides, but Nachmanides, another medieval, um, rabbi says very famously at the beginning of the construction of the tabernacle, Nachmanides has this language here. This is a very famous quote. Um, this, this is the secret of the tabernacle. There's a secret that the kavod which dwelled upon Mount Sinai openly dwelled upon the tabernacle in a concealed manner. So in other words, Nachmanides agrees with Allison that the tabernacle, the primary point of the, of the purpose of the tabernacle is to try and, and create some space that will recreate Mount Sinai. Because on Sinai, for some, in some um, uh, inconceivable way, we actually beheld the kavod of Adonai, the presence, the glory, the whatever, the weight of God. And that's a, a nearly impossible thing to do. But if we can construct this tabernacle, then we can, we can get back there a little bit. And so this helps to explain when we see this language, here's just one last usage of, of kavod. In the book of Leviticus, once we're in the priestly laws and rituals of, of making the sacrifices, M Moses says, this is what Adonai has commanded that you may do so that the kavod of Adonai may appear to you. And then we get in all these, again, details, 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 and the fat and the kidneys and the, all of the ways that they have to go into all of these gory details to, to, to deliver the sacrifices. And, but once they do, then the kavod of Adonai appeared to all the people. Fire came forth from before Adonai and consumed the burnt offering. So there you have it. Like there you have the, the, the offerings and the tabernacle as a formula, a way that the Torah is offering, the priestly system is offering to try to re-experience the presence of God that we that we felt, that we that we experienced at Mount Sinai, and that sets us up, I think, perfectly for next week when we begin 
the book of Leviticus. So great learning with you all. Thank you for entering into the, the mysterious cloud with me is a, is a worthwhile, uh, worthwhile operation. You will see this, this phrase come up many, many more times. Bye all. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that that uh, we keep our classes, you can if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>